This podcast is brought to you by Langley & Benack, a full-service South and Central Texas law firm that delivers the highest quality legal advice coupled with exceptional client service. From our main office in San Antonio, we provide the resources of a national firm while maintaining close ties to the communities in which we practice. To learn more, please visit us at langleybenack.com. That's langleybenack.com or call us at 210-736-6600. Today's episode is part two of a seven-part series on will contest-focused fiduciary litigation. This series is hosted by attorneys Christopher Hodge and Job Jackson. The information, opinions, and recommendations presented in the Langley and Benack podcast are for information purposes only and should not be considered legal or professional advice for any particular situation. The presentation of this informational content does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you would like to meet with one of our attorneys, please contact us through our website at www.langleybenack.com or call us at 210-736-6600. Thank you for joining us. This is Chris Hodge and Job Jackson of Langley and Benack Law Firm. And in our previous episode, we talked about uh, a valid last will and testament and some of the issues that can arise uh, after a loved one has died uh, with regard to those types of documents. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about uh, the probate process and why, why you need to probate a will, why you need to go through that uh, process. And, and Chris, so you found uh, a loved one's passed away. You, you found a will. Uh, what, what happens next? And I guess a good starting point is, do I even have to probate a will? So in general, uh, a, a will is used to dispose of the decedent or testator, and, and we talked about that being the person that, that died, whose, whose will it is, um, about how, how that, their property is going to pass when they die. And so in general, there are certain types of assets that are titled, for instance, a house or land minerals or a car or a bank account. And so in, in general, if, if you need to pass title on, you're going to need to go through the probate process with the probate court um, to pass title uh, to those assets, to who they are to be distributed under the last will and testament of the person that died. So I, I guess an example of this, Chris, is if, if my grandmother's passed away and we knew that she wanted to give her car to my brother without probating that will we're not going to be able to transfer that car over because right because the your grandmother was the rightful owner of the car or the house and and there's nobody who can transfer valid title to those assets without the court having appointed them investing them with that authority well, Chris, what, what if uh, my loved one's estate doesn't have a car or a house, rather any land or minerals in it, but, but just has some bank accounts? Am I going to need to probate a will and go through the probate process in that instance? So I think w in what we talked about a little bit in, in episode one is, is knowing the status of 
the accounts. Do the accounts have a survivorship feature or a pay on death feature on them? If they do not, then yes, you will have to go through the probate process and, and have someone appointed as independent executor or administrator to pass those accounts along to whoever the beneficiaries are or the heirs are of the person uh, that has passed away. And is that because if uh, a bank account has a survivorship agreement, it, it passes outside of probate? Exactly right. When you sign, when, when anyone goes to the bank and signs an application to create a, an account, typically there is uh, various boxes you can check or language in, in those documents, which, which essentially effectively it take, takes those accounts outside of the probate process and, pa- and you can pass them uh, by virtue of that contract onto someone else outside of the uh, probate process. And does that same principle apply to life insurance policies as well? Absolutely. Any other financial account. Um, a lot of accounts, especially uh, accounts like retirement accounts that are governed by ERISA and federal law, uh, uh, mandate that those accounts go to uh, a decedent uh, uh, surviving spouse. Um, but, but yes, Job, um, the, any, any life insurance or annuity um, or any type of financial asset like that has that option that, that it could pass outside of the, the, the probate estate. Okay. And Chris, what about this situation? If, if let's say my, my grandmother has passed away and we make the determination that, you know, there's no car or house that needs to be transferred and there are uh, any accounts she had have survivorship or pay on death agreements, uh, but I have a copy of her will. Can I just shred it and get rid of it? I don't. I don't think it's a good idea to get rid of a, a will ever, um, um, because something may pop up later on. Uh, typically, in Texas, estates stay open and aren't formally closed ever, uh, because of the idea that there may be assets out there that just nobody knows about. There may be mineral interests. Um, in some random county in Texas. And in order to transfer title to those, you're gonna need that will later on. Okay, even if it's uh, 15, 20 years later. A- a- absolutely. Um, and so the, you know, our, our state's code provides a means to, to deal with that, even if it is um, at that later date. So Chris, in our kind of hypothetical situation with the a grandmother passing away, um, the family's kind of taking their time to mourn and we found a will. Uh, how soon do we need to probate that will? So Texas law provides that you have four years from the date of someone's death to probate that will. And so you can do it as quickly as possible or uh, obviously up to four years if it takes a while to find it. Uh, in general, I think it's good to go ahead and get the process started, typically because there are house, there's a house, there's bills that need to be paid, there's final tax returns that need to be filed for the decedent, and there's things that need to happen. And without uh, having the will probated, you don't have anybody vested with the authority to file that tax return or pay those bills and wrap up um, sort of the last uh, business matters of the person that passed away. And what, what happens if, you know, grandmother passes away and despite looking, knowing the family can find the will immediately, but 
five or six years after a grandmother's passed away, we do find the will. Can we still try and offer it for probate? Yes, you can still offer it for probate. The estate's code provides a way to do that as long as the applicant, so that would be the person that's um, offering the will for probate, isn't in default for not having offered it for probate. So when I when I talk about being in default, the courts have construed that um, basically to mean that you didn't just sit on it and not do anything, that you, you couldn't find it, you couldn't locate it, and, and once you did, you acted uh, as prudently as possible to get it probated as quickly as possible. So Joe, um, so after you've decided to offer um, a will for probate, so what's, what's if you've, you've determined that there are assets that you need to pass title to uh, and you need somebody vested with that authority to do that, so what do you do next if you have the original will? Well, the, the first step you're really going to have to, to take is contacting and uh, hiring an attorney to assist you with the process. Um, in Texas, you have to have an attorney prepare an application to probate the will and file it in the proper county. And uh, once you've contacted that, that attorney, you really want to make sure you hire someone who's qualified and knows what they're doing with the process, because as we'll discuss here in a, in a few moments, um, there are a lot of statutory requirements that you have to follow. So you want to have someone qualified to help you with this and have that attorney draft an application to probate the will. And the contents of that application are governed by the Texas Estates Code and are very specific. Okay, so, so once you've found uh, an attorney, what, what do you think they're, what information are they going to require and what, what are the next steps? Well, the attorney is going to need to know uh, some personal information about the applicant, including uh, the last three numbers of their driver's license and social security number. Uh, they're going to need to know a very important basic fact in this process is the date of death of the decedent. They're going to need to uh, have the original will and know the date that was executed. That attorney's also going to want to uh, analyze whether or not the will is uh, enforceable and complies with uh, some of the requirements we discussed in our previous episode about what makes a valid and enforceable will. And they're, they're going to want to gather basic information about the decedent so they can properly prepare the application for the court. Because when it's offered for probate, uh, there's going to have to be a hearing where you establish certain requirements to the judge before the will can be admitted into probate. And so, so Joe, um, you know, one of the questions that comes up a lot in our practice is, is where do you offer it for probate? Is it, is it where the person died? Is it where they have a bank account? Is it where, you know, one of the children uh, lives if they live in a different city or county? So, so where, where is it proper to offer a will for probate? The, the primary place where you want to offer the will for probate is where the decedent resided and, and passed away. Uh, now, there can be some circumstances where, especially if you have an elderly decedent that may have moved later in life for assisted living, uh, it, it may be possible to offer the will for probate in the county where the majority of their property was located. So, for instance, let's say you have a, a grandparent whose uh, home was in San Antonio. Uh, may they own some other property around Bear County? Uh, but in the late stages of their life, maybe say the last six months, they were in a, an assisted living facility 
in New Braunfels, which is a different county, um, you could go forward with the probate in Bear County in that instance. Okay. And so once you're you're in the you're in the correct county and you've hired an attorney and they've filed the application, um, are there any other documents that, that they need for the hearing that uh, where the judge is gonna approve the will and admit it to probate? Uh, well that you're of course going to have to submit the original will to the court um, with your application or generally within three to five days after that it needs to be delivered to the court. Um, you're also going to need uh, a death certificate um, at the hearing and you're also going to need uh, a witness who can provide the information uh, to establish the proof of death and other facts uh, which satisfy the court's requirement to determine that uh, where the will is being offered for probate is the proper venue for that probate uh, proceeding. Okay, and so once the once the will is filed for probate, and again, we talked about this a little bit yesterday in, in episode, um, or in, in our previous episode, uh, who, who all gets notice of the fact that the will has been offered for probate? That, that's a great question, Chris. The notice requirements in the Texas Estates Code only require posted notice. So when you file the application uh, with the court, that notice is going to be posted somewhere at the, the county courthouse. Um, if this sounds really antiquated, uh, that's because that's how it's been done really since the formation of Texas. And uh, there's no requirement that notice is posted online. There's no requirement that the application is sent to all potential beneficiaries. The only uh, initial notice is posted notice at the courthouse. And so if I'm if if I have a loved one that died and I know that my brother or my cousin or somebody um, probably has the will, um, what what is it? I mean, what do I need to do uh, to to make sure that I assert my rights or to make sure I'm I'm aware of this probate process? What I mean, how would you advise people on on what they how they need to be active, what they need to be actively doing? I think if you have those concerns, um, you probably want to contact an attorney uh, who can analyze where the proper venue for any probate proceeding would be for that loved one so that you can monitor those counties uh, to determine whether or not a uh, will has been offered for probate. And part of that is, you know, we mentioned the posted notice, uh, the only requirement uh, before the amount of time for the notice before the probate hearing is 10 days. So if it's posted in a county and you're not monitoring it, 10 days go by, they can go have the hearing to probate the will without you uh, being able to participate in that, that process. So if you have concerns that someone else has a will, um, you want to be sure that you're monitoring the counties where that will could be offered for probate. And so in situations where we were talking with a client or a potential client about a will contest, uh, we and, and we don't know if the will's been offered for probate. Um, for instance, in Bear County, our probate dockets are online. Um, and so we'll check 
almost every day and then have um, have someone from our office call the court every day to see if a will has been offered for probate because as we'll talk about in in some later episodes there's you know if you're considering a will contest there's a there's a pretty big difference between having the will admitted to probate uh, versus not having it admitted to probate and and when the will contest gets filed within that 10-day window so after the after the hearing job if you have the hearing on the application to to probate the will and let's assume that that everything went well what what's required next i mean what is the the rep estate representative what what do they have to do next what are some of the the time frames or deadlines or that they have to meet as the estate representative so after uh, the will's been admitted to probate and a representative has been appointed and We'll discuss this a little bit later. There's a difference between a dependent and independent administrator of the estate. But in either instance, uh, there's going to be a few uh, tasks that have to be taken care of pretty quickly um, after someone has qualified as the estate's representative. And the first of which is going to be uh, filing a notice to claimants. Uh, providing notice really to the world that if you have a claim, if you think the decedent owed you money, you need to file a claim against the estate. And that notice to claimants needs to be published in a newspaper of general circulation in the county where uh, the probate proceeding is taking place. So for instance, if you probate a will in Bear County, uh, you're gonna wanna publish that notice in either the Express News or another publication that is of uh, general circulation in the county. And that's really just the notice, to, it's a creditor's notice to put creditors if, if they owe credit card debt or other substantial debts because, and we're not gonna really get into a lot of this with this series, but because credit, if creditors are on certain notice, then their claims can be barred later on, right? Correct. And so in addition to that notice to general creditors, there's another notice to secured creditors that needs to be sent out within two months uh, as well. And that, that when you think of a secured creditor, what that means is let's say uh, your loved one uh, owned a car, but they owed money on it to a bank. They had a note. Uh, that bank is in all likelihood a secured creditor, meaning if, if your loved one hadn't made payments on their car, they, they the bank could repossess that car. So you're gonna to have to send those secure creditors a separate notice. Um, and the, the next notice that has to be taken care of uh, pretty quickly after the Wills made to probate is a notice to beneficiaries. And that's within 60 days of uh, the will being admitted to probate. And that notice uh, it has certain requirements governed by the estate's code, but in the grand scheme of things, when you're thinking, okay, a loved one's passed away, you're in mourning, uh, you're trying to figure out what's next, 60 days can come and go pretty quickly. Uh, so it's important that uh, your attorney who's assisting you with this process uh, stays on top of sending that notice to beneficiaries. And in that notice, in, in that notice to anybody who's named as a beneficiary in the will, they're, they're to be provided information about who got appointed as the executor administrator of the estate to be provided a copy of the will so that they know what they're supposed to uh, supposed to get uh, un, you know under the terms 
of the will and just so to make them aware that the process has started. Correct. And an important part of that notice to beneficiaries is uh, if you're a beneficiary and you receive one of these notices, that notice should give you the information necessary for you to monitor the estate going forward in the county where the probate uh, proceedings taking place. So anything that's filed in a probate proceeding is going to be public record. Uh, so depending on the county that you're in, some counties have that information uh, accessible online. Other counties like Bear County, uh, you'd need to go down to the courthouse to get copies of those records. But that notice to beneficiaries will give you the information you need to go down to the uh, Bear County Courthouse, go to the probate clerk's office, and have uh, one of the really helpful clerks uh, help you find those records that you'd be interested in. So what's the, what's the next thing that the executor has to do after that? The, the next uh, administrative task that the executor has to do after the will's been made to probate and they've been appointed is prepare an inventory uh, for the estate. And you have 91 day, or it has to be uh, filed before the 91st day after you were uh, qualified as the uh, independent or uh, dependent administrator of the estate. And that inventory is gonna have to provide a list uh, providing the date of death value of every asset in the decedent's estate. And does the does the inventory does it list debts? No, that that's going to be really the burden of the creditors to present that claim against the estate. The inventory, since it's really concerned with the assets of the estate, is only going to list claims owed to the estate because that'd be an asset of the estate. And so the inventory might have a total value of the estate, but it, since it doesn't necessarily list the debts, we, you might not know what the actual value is until you know the amount of those debts, right? Correct, correct. Because I mean, it, it's not uh, out of the ordinary for a decedent to have a number of debts, uh, medical costs from last illness, some instances uh, tax, uh, back taxes, uh, where the IRS can come in and make a claim against the estate. So even though the inventory may show a value of the estate, since you don't know all the debts, it may not be the actual uh, equity in the estate. And so after all of that's done, after the inventory is filed, and, and so Texas law changed um, four or five years ago to, to allow the independent executor to not file an inventory, but they have to actually give a copy of the inventory to the beneficiaries, right? Correct. So what, what Texas law allows is uh, the representative of the estate and an independent administrator of the estate to file an affidavit in lieu of inventory. And what that affidavit states to the world is an inventory has been prepared and anyone who's entitled to receive it has received a copy of it. And that affidavit is signed under oath. So if you're gonna submit one of those, uh, you really wanna be certain that you've prepared a verified inventory and that you've given it to everyone who's entitled to receive it. And I, I do wanna mention the inventory uh, where you're listing the date of death value of the assets in the estate does need to be verified, which means that you are are swearing uh, that this is a true and incorrect listing of the assets of the estate. 
Okay, and so after the, the inventory is filed, um, in most estates, I would say that, that the estate is ripe for a distribution of, of the assets. And so, uh, Job, talk a little bit about, about you know, the executor distributing the assets after that. And then, then, then I think we can talk about what if they're not distributing the assets? What, what are some of the things that you as a beneficiary, some of the rights that you have? Mm-hmm. So if you're in an independent administration, at, at this point, it's important to mention there's independent administration and dependent administration. And what that means is if you have an independent administration, the estate's representative can act independently of the court supervision. So after that inventory has been filed and approved, uh, the independent administrator can begin making distributions um, and selling property if it needs to happen to satisfy money uh, gifts under the will. And that process can happen pretty quickly uh, without court supervision. If there's a dependent administration, the dependent administrator is going to have to ask for permission from the court to sell property, and uh, it, it can be a very costly process because you have to consistently go back to the court to ask for permission to uh, carry out your duties uh, with regard to uh, distributing property from the estate. Uh, now, a question that Chris asked is, what happens if the administrator is not making distributions? Well. Um, and independent administration, uh, you know, going back to the word independent, it's really supposed to happen independent of court supervision. But uh, after uh, a certain time period, a beneficiary, you do have rights to compel distributions from the estate. So, for instance, uh, two years uh, after the independent administrator has been appointed, you can compel an accounting of the estate's assets and uh, seek a distribution of the estate's assets. One of the things that, that we've been talking about in this is, is an independent versus a dependent administration. And along with that goes two other, uh, two other I guess, names that we've been talking about, and that'd be an executor and an, and an administrator. In most probate cases, if you have a regular will that's been drafted by an attorney uh, and everything meets the statutory requirements that we talked about in episode one, that will is going to designate someone as the independent executor of the estate, and the court is going to appoint them as the independent executor of the estate. And then, as Joe mentioned, that independent executor is just that independent of court supervision, except for the you know, 30, 60, and 90 day requirements that we've, we've been through. If the will doesn't necessarily meet the requirements uh, under Texas law and there's issues with it, in all likelihood, the court is going to appoint a dependent administrator who is uh, just that dependent upon court supervision. Typically, a dependent administrator has to post a bond for the assets under their control so that um, you know, so that they, if they dispose of the assets without complying with the terms of the will or a judgment of the court, then that bond can be executed and, and, the, and, and money can come back into the estate to benefit uh, the beneficiaries. The, the other two uh, terms that we've been using are executor and administrator. An executor is appointed if there is a will that has been admitted to probate. If there's not a will that's been admitted to probate, typically an administrator 
is, is appointed. So that's the difference in those two terms. Thanks for listening to this discussion on the probate process. This is Chris. And this is Joe. Thank you for listening. And in our next episode, we're going to be talking about uh, considerations for a will contest. So we hope you can join us for that. Thank you for joining us today for the Langley and Benack podcast. Please subscribe to get the latest updates. If you would like to meet with one of our attorneys, please contact us through our website, www.langleybenack.com or call us at 210-736-6600.